You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us today. So we're moving into our Advent season. Uh, Who grew up with Advent? I did not. Raise your hand if you grew up with Advent. I've only been uh, experiencing Advent uh, as a church body for probably the last eight years. Eight years. So it's it's relatively new for me. Uh, if it, if it's new to you, welcome to uh, welcome to the club. Um, each year we take time at Advent to reflect on not only Christ's first Advent, the 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 Christmas story, but the hope that we have of His second Advent, His return and glory. And this is something that the church has done for thousands of years, as as a larger body. And, uh, and for us, it's a season that we endeavor to deepen our worship and reverence of who Christ is. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that, that the church around the world expresses its worship, right? Like you go down South, uh, you'll, you'll find uh, different expressions. You go around the world, you'll find different expressions. And sometimes there's even different expectations. Uh, on Twitter, I saw this whole conversation this last week about uh, churches that uh, are not celebrating on Christmas morning. We're choosing to have our families stay with their families on Christmas morning because we're coming together Christmas Eve. But in other countries, regardless of what day Christmas lands on, you show up. And in America, that's not necessarily the same. And so there's these different expressions of, of faith and worship. And I think that's pretty cool. In Missoula, we want to be both relevant to the people within our community, but also connect people to these ancient traditions. We sang a song this morning from the 1500s. I love that we're worshiping that way. That is cool. And, and Advent's just one of those ways that we try to try to be relevant in the modern world. You know, we're meeting at a hotel. Um, you know, there's no steeple outside. Um, they didn't spend 700 years building this space like they've built cathedrals in Europe. But we still want to connect people to the fact that people have been worshiping Jesus for 2,000 years. And, and even try to learn from other, other people uh, and uh, other expressions of worship. And so you know that, that we've, in the past, we've focused on these four themes, hope, peace, joy, and love, and then the Christ child on Christmas Eve. The Carmelite nuns from Mount Carmel, they, from the 1400s, uh, added to this or, or, or looked at this a little differently. Um, they looked at waiting, accepting, journeying, and birthing. And so we're going to talk about waiting with hope, accepting through peace, journeying with joy, and birthing new love. That's going to be our focus for this Advent season. 
I want to uh, set the stage for you, though, because context matters. And the first advent of Christ took place 2,000 years ago. We know that. The people of Israel found themselves waiting, found themselves hoping. We read earlier from Jeremiah, right? They were waiting. They were hoping for a different existence, a different life. And uh, at the time when Christ comes on the scene, there had been 400 years of what we'll call a relative silence of God. It wasn't that God wasn't speaking to anybody, but in relative terms, God hadn't said a lot in 400 years. And God's silence is fertile ground for doubt or for faith. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced a, a season where it seems like God went, goes silent on you? Like, like it's, it's amazing when God's shown up, you know, everywhere you turn, you know, uh, for me, like if we were doing baptiz baptisms every week, that would, that would be amazing. You guys know how much I long for baptisms, right? Uh, to me, that's just evidence of God's spirit at work, God speaking in people's lives. And there's nothing more exciting for me than that as a pastor. God's silence can be fertile ground. And will that be fertile ground for us of doubt or for faith? Because we start wrestling with, did he really say? Did he really say that? Or are we waiting for the right thing? Or are we waiting the right way? Are we doing the right kinds of things for us to be able to hear God? These are the kinds of questions that I've wrestled with. I believe that the Israelites were wrestling with those same kinds of questions after 400 years of silence. See, they had this these great promises. We, we read from Jeremiah earlier. We'll read from Isaiah right now. Isaiah says this, but there will be no more gloom for who, for her who was in anguish in earlier times. He treated the land of Zedlin and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious. He dealt with it in contempt as, as the nations came barging through and, and taking people in captivity by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nations. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence. Uh, I don't like that translation. I think a better translation, uh, the NASB, when they updated the translation, they changed gladness to joy. Remember us talking about joy and talking about presence when in your presence, that's literally in his face, in your face, God, joy is communicated through our faces. When you're, when someone's face lights up, when you come walking into the room, you know that you're experiencing joy. Isaiah is saying that you will see the face of God and you'll see that he has joy for you. 
as with gladness of heart, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the blood of warrior in the battle tumult and cloak road and blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. God's going to deal with our enemies, Isaiah says. He's going to deal with those who oppress us, he says. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And so 2,000 years ago, Israel had been waiting. They'd been hoping. They'd been hoping for this Messiah. They had a lot of opinions of what Messiah would mean. Of course, they thought Messiah was going was to deal with the burden that Rome brought them. We would come to find out that although God wanted to deal with Rome too, and within a few hundred years of Christ's coming, Rome would be changed from the inside out. At the heart level, Rome would be changed. As, as Christ's kingdom moved forward. But the greatest enemy Jesus taught us is not those out there, but the one that lives inside of here, inside of me, inside of, inside of my own heart. You know, we, uh, we, we like to draw lines and, and we, uh, we like to determine who uh, is our enemy and who's our friend. Uh, that's that's a somewhat natural thing to want to do in this world. Uh, for some in the room, uh, you're a Republican and you're, you're convinced that the Democrats, they're the enemy. And, and for some of you, you're a Democrat and you're con- you, the, the Republicans. And, and, and then some of you, you know, you can, every, all of them are a mess. So... Uh, maybe China, maybe you're looking at China and going, those are the ones, those are the ones we have to worry about. I'll tell you what, um, I've got concerns about, you know, China as a nation and, and, and their policies. I have, I have concerns with the way I see our, our elected officials handle certain conversations um, from both sides of the aisle. But my greatest threat lives and breathes with me. It's myself. That is my greatest threat. That, that, that's always been my greatest problem. And so they were waiting. They were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for God to show up in their world. And sometimes when we're waiting for God to show up, you know, we, we prayed that prayer this morning, God, I want you to show up in this area of my life. I want you to show up in this relationship. I want you to show up uh, in this challenge. I want you to show up in this problem. I want you to show up in my health. And yet sometimes it seems like God is silent. 
And is that going to be fertile ground for doubt or for faith? Even I think as a church, we prayed a year ago. We prayed about the hub and whether or not God would have us pursue the hub. And, and corporately, after 21 days of prayer, we said, yes. We said, yep, that's, that's worth pursuing. So we moved services out to this part of town. We started pursuing this neighborhood. Uh, I think about what we're reading this week in Exodus, where Pharaoh makes it harder for the people when he gets asked, you know, I'm not going to give you hay for your bricks. You go, go find your own hay. Uh, has this seemed harder this year since we've made that decision to make the move? In some ways, maybe. And has it at times felt like God's been silent with us? Yeah. Sometimes I might have accused God of leaving once or twice <laughs> as I've wrestled through that. Uh, speaking of Exodus, 2,000 years ago was not the first time Israel had experienced 400 years of silence. Right? At the burning bush, the Lord says, I see your affliction. I know your sufferings. Your cries have come to me. I see your oppression. But he also says, I have come down to deliver you. I have good plans for you. After 400 years of silence. Uh, this is, we call this a chiasm, right? A chiasm is a literary tool that's used throughout the scriptures. It's just structure. You got A, B, C, D, or I'm sorry, A, B, C, C, B, A. You got this literary structure with, and it draws your attention to the center. But in this case, I think we should pay attention both to the, to the center and the outside. God sees you. God knows. God understands. God is paying attention. God knows what you've been wrestling through, what you've been wrestling over in prayer for a long season. He sees you. God sees you. He wants to make that abundantly clear. He sees you. He has come down. He has good plans. And so he says to Moses in Exodus 3, Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, certainly I will be with you and this shall be the sign to you. Now I want you to pay attention to the sign that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain. Now I read this for a week, every day last week, and uh, I chuckled every time I read that. That is not a great sign. 
I kind of like my signs to happen on the front end of obedience, not on the back end of obedience. Moses, I'm going to send you to, uh, to approach the most powerful man on the planet. And this is the sign that this is a good idea. Months from now, many moons, you will worship me with the people right here. And I was like, it's kind of a silly sign. I, I kind of like my signs to be on the front end of me making the leap, not the back end of me taking the leap. But then I thought about Advent. We have bought into Christ and we have not nearly tasted his glory. Right? We've, we've tasted just a fraction of his glory. He's asked us to do the same thing. I'm not the apostle John. I haven't fallen to, on my face because Jesus has shown up and, and, you know, I didn't see him resurrected. I'm going off of, off of faith. We live for the same hope that Moses lived for. That we would see God fulfill his promises. We have this amazing promise that Christ will return. That's what we live for. That's what keeps us going. That's what drives us. Right? And so Moses goes and he tells the people what, what the Lord told him. Exodus 6 says, So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. And honestly, I think it's a fair response. Have you ever shared your faith story with someone and their life was just so hard, so entangled, so broken that they couldn't hope? You know, what I, what I find amazing is God never chastises the Israelites here. God just keeps pressing on. God says, yep, I'm going to keep showing up in your life. I said, I'd be present and I'm going to be present. I am that I am, he says. And Jesus says the same, same thing. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. You will experience me as you live out the things I call you to live out. And you know, when life keeps coming at you, when the bills keep piling up and there, there seems to be no end to them, when, when the reports from the doctor keep going the wrong direction, when a relationship just gets worse and worse and worse, or you see someone that you care about choose the wrong thing over and over and over again, it is so easy to lose hope. We could get fixated on the problem. 
and see how big the problem is. And oh, by the way, Egypt was big. That was a big problem. And the things that we face as a church, the things that we've been praying for one another as a church, these are some big problems. I don't have solutions for some of these problems. I don't have solutions for most of them. We need God to show up. These are God-sized problems. Egypt was a God-sized problem. Rome was a God-sized problem. My sin is too big for me to deal with myself. I can't overcome my brokenness apart from God's Holy Spirit and his redemptive work in me. I need help. I need him. I need him as much as today as I did 46 years ago. That's the reality. My family, I have a lot of hope for my family. My kids are doing the same dumb kind of things that I did, my wife did when we were their age. That's painful to watch. But I know what God did for me, my brother, my parents. We were, we were a smoking mess. We were, we were trying to destroy ourselves. And God pursued us. He redeemed us. And it's that hope that I cling to. See, they couldn't believe because of their despondency. And despondency will lead you to passivity. Where you're just like, I'm done. I, I got no more fight in me. <sighs> Bring it on, I don't care. What's next? You know, uh, you're, you're, you're working with someone that's, that's addicted and, and, and they make the same decision again and again and you, and you, and you want to speak truth to them, but, but, but there's not enough truth to, to help. They need something more than truth. And, there, and you don't have any more to give. And it's just like, I'm done. I get there with my kids sometimes. Come on, guys. Can we be adults sometime this week? <laughs> sometime this century? But uh, I could I could move right into passivity and just go, well, whatever. They'll get what they get. But we're not called to passivity. We're called to waiting with hope. We're called to waiting with hope. And waiting with hope is not passive, but it's active. And we see two people live this out really well at the birth of Christ. In Luke chapter 2, we see these words. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law 
Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And he wasn't the only one. Verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of, I'm not going to say that. Uh, I I think of Phineas and and Herb, or Phineas and those guys. Uh, Faneuil? I'm going to go with Faneuil, something like that. All right. Anna, the daughter of Faneuil of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continuing to speak to him uh, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. See, waiting with hope is active as you choose to worship. Waiting with hope is active as you choose to worship. I, I really, this became so important to me when uh, our youngest was at Seattle Children's Hospital uh, four years ago. They had uh, gone through, um, they had meningitis. Uh, They have a shunt that's in their brain um, and runs down to assist in their back. And we'd had 20 some odd surgeries within the previous year. Uh, We'd lost my dad and my mom within that time frame. And we were told that we were going to be at the hospital for 120 days. I had two options. I could be despondent or I could worship. Those were my options. I could be despondent and become passive, or I could stay active in hoping to worship. And I'll tell you what, uh, the fight was real. It was a daily basis that I had to choose hope and to choose worship. My worship actually gave me hope. I don't know if I started out with hope on the front end of the worship. I think we see that in the Psalms where David starts complaining, but he's worshiping in the midst of his complaining. He's bringing his complaint at least to the Lord, because if you're passive, you're not even doing that. You're just like (laughs) pointing at the problem. Waiting with hope is active as you choose to worship. Anna and Simeon, they chose to trust in God's character and uh, keep engaging over and over and over again in this act of worship, even when it seemed like God was being silent. 
especially when it looked like things were never going to get better. They chose to worship. Now, sometimes when we talk about worship, uh, I think we get this idea of dualism. Now, dualism is this idea that there are sacred things and, and unsacred things. Uh, and dualism as worse as, well, there's the spirit and that spirit's good. And then there's a flesh and the spirit's all, or the flesh is all bad. Spirit is all good. Flesh is all bad. Uh, by the way, Christ coming in the flesh should demolish that idea. The, the elements that we take to remember Christ, when we do that, each, we choose to do that weekly as a church. Uh, there's different patterns for different churches, but when we choose to engage in communion on a weekly basis, we're using bread and juice. Physical things. So I'm not talking about dualism. You could be worshiping God by the way you work, the way you swing your hammer, the way you design things, Bob, as you design things, the way you sell, engage with customers, the way you clean, the way you deal with new clients. We can worship in the way that we work. It's not just that when we show up here on Sundays, but in how we approach life. We could be active in our choice to worship. And then waiting with hope is active when you choose to serve someone else. It's active when you choose to serve. Jesus, in Matthew 25, this is, uh, this is a section out of the, what we call the, the livid discourse. Uh, they were on the Mount of Olives <laughs> having a conversation, and we call that the livid discourse. We like fancy titles for, for simple things. But uh, Jesus had been asked by his disciples, what is the sign of your second advent? What is the sign of your return? And so he, he, he gives them some, some thoughts on that. He, he has an opinion on that. But then he goes on to tell his disciples, I want you to be faithful. Be faithful servants. And one of the ways he wants us to be faithful is told to us in a parable towards the end of the conversation. He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus says, I want you to serve people. That's how I want you to wait. I want you to serve people. See, waiting with hope allows you to see those who are in need. Waiting with hope allows you to see those who are in need. Because when we're passive and we're despondent, we're in self-protection mode. But when we're hopeful and we're worshiping, we see other people. And we see that God has a part for us to play in their despondency, in their brokenness, in their hoping for God to speak into their life. So waiting with hope allows you to see those who are in need. This Christmas, 
as a church, I want us to, to communicate when we see people in need. Scott came to me this morning. Uh, Sean Day's boyfriend, Coulter, his family uh, probably won't experience a very hopeful Christmas unless someone steps in. And I think that should be us. I'll find out what you think. <laughs> I present this. Uh, they, uh, their Coulter's brother um, has, a, has a cancer. It's hereditary. Uh, for the, uh, for the other siblings, they have it too, but it's benignant within them, I guess. Uh, I'm hoping I'm getting all this right. Um, but uh, this is, this, I do know, they suddenly had $22,000 in medical expenses that they thought the insurance was going to cover. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, that could, $22,000 in debt could quite, could push me over the edge of despondency, I think. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to worship our God and serve this family. And, and that's probably not the only need we'll see. So we'll be talking about that uh, care group this week and be looking for some, some possibilities. My, uh, my Aunt Laura, I called my aunt this week. Um, it had been a while. She, she got on me for that. I, re I repented. Um, but you know what? Calling her is like walking along the beach on a summer day. Her voice just invites me back. We, we spent a, a lot of time at, at the lake, uh, boating, skiing, fishing, camping, like we just had an amazing time. And her voice, she is such a gracious lady, such a, such a joy, loves the Lord. And talking to her just brings me right back to all those memories. Uh, it's like I'm talking to the 40-year-old aunt that I grew up with, not, not the 70-something-year-old uh, aunt that um, she is today, but uh, just amazing memories. But um, Somehow we got on the conversation of my uncle Larry, who has since passed. And you guys have heard me talk about Larry. She prayed for Larry for 50 years to receive the Lord. I never would have guessed, but my aunt almost gave up. After 50 years of praying for her husband, she almost gave up. But she's, uh, as Paul Harvey likes to say, uh, you're going to hear the rest of the story. I didn't know the rest of the story. Uh, she says, oh, you, you, must have, you must have called him after his stroke, because I shared with her the time I called, and I'm talking to Larry, and, and Larry's talking about the Lord doing this, and the Lord doing that, the Lord doing the other thing, and I'm looking at the phone like, did I get the right Larry? It's his voice, but it doesn't sound like him at all. <laughs> um, he'd always been atheist my whole life. She goes, oh, you must have called him after a stroke. What happened is that uh, he had a stroke, and to help him learn how to speak again, she used Psalm 23. She chose this to not only worship, but to serve her husband. She combined these two ideas 
together. And that's what led him back to Christ. He grew up in the church. I was able to do his funeral service. And, uh, and we did it at the church that he grew up in. And he was an altar boy at one point. I never would have guessed. He was a character. My kids call him Crazy Uncle Larry, uh, probably because he always wore a Speedo, um, no matter how much he weighed. <laughs> he was a big boy towards the, towards the end. Good-looking man in his youth. Man, I was jealous of how good-looking he was. But <laughs> um, My aunt choosing to worship her God and serve her husband led him back to Christ. How cool is that? We asked you earlier to reflect on this question. Where are you hoping for God to show up in your world this season? Is it your medical? Is it a relationship? Is there a person that's making a, a, a decision over and over and over again? You see the harm and you're like, stop. Is it family conflict? Is there something raging inside of you that you want to change and you don't know how to change it? And you're hoping that God will just show up in that. God's silence is fertile ground for doubt or for faith. Which way are you heading? Which are you choosing? Are you taking that step of faith to worship? And then to serve? Or are you despondent? And I'll say this, if you're despondent, you know what? I don't think God rebukes you. He's going to continue to be who he is. And he's going to keep showing up. Look for him. Look for him. Let us know. If you're despondent, we'll journey with you. We'll go on that journey with you. Maybe we could be the voice of God in your life in the way that we worship or in the way that we serve you in the midst of your despondency. We're going to pass out the elements for communion. And if this is your first time with us, know that uh, if you're here to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then we invite you to participate with us. But we just invite you again to, to consider that question. Where are you hoping for God to show up in your world this season? What are you hoping to be different? Because he shows up. Have that conversation with him. If you're despondent, let him know. Or if you're hopeful, if you're encouraged, if you're waiting with hope, have that conversation with him too. But invite God into your circumstances. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. We are a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. 
For more information about Mission Ridge, visit our website, missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas.